Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is Rashad Norzay coming to you with a new episode of the Muslim American Society podcast. Uh, I was very honored to have this conversation with Dr. Sharif El Tobki. And a quick introduction and bio of Dr. Sharif. Dr. Sharif is the Associate Professor of Arabic and Islamic Studies and Director of the Arabic Language Program in the Near Eastern and Judaic Studies Department at Brandeis University. Dr. Sharif, scholar, his scholarly expertise lies in the field of Islamic thought with a special concentration on theology, law, and jurisprudence. In addition to his expertise in Islamic thought, Dr. Sharif has a deep love of language in general and of classical particular, and has enjoyed for many years exploring the intricacies of Arabic grammar, as well as, a, as classical literature and poetry with the students. Some of Dr. Sharif's other courses have included Introduction to Islamic Law, Islam in the West, and Islamic Theology, Classical Roots, Contemporary Applications. Dr. Sharif has recently published a book titled Ibn Taymiyyah on Reason and Revelation, which is an extensive study on Ibn Taymiyyah's 10-volume work, Refutation of Contradiction Between Reason and Revelation. This book is published by E.J. Brill, is available for free via open access on the Brill website, as well as Dr. Sharif's page on academia.edu. Shall will be sharing those links out. Dr. Sharif joined me for a special podcast to discuss Project 100. It's a new project by Muslim American Society. It's kicking off very soon, and applications are being accepted now. This project is a four-week concentrated program of high-level intellectual engagement and deep spiritual exploration centered around the themes of Islam and the modern world's view, which is the section that Dr. Sharif will be teaching, as well as a section titled Probing the Depths of Sira, which is with Dr. Wa'il Hamza. So I wanted to take a moment to introduce this section, and without further ado, this is my conversation with Dr. Sharif. We have, as I said, a special guest today, Dr. Sharif, joining us uh, all the way from the other side of uh, the country on the East Coast. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Sharif. How are you doing today? Wa alaikum assalam. Alhamdulillah, I'm doing fine. How are you, Rashad? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing excellent. And I, I can't start these conversations these days without asking, you know, how are you guys doing out there with, uh, with everything around COVID-19? And Charlie, you and your family are doing okay? Yeah, alhamdulillah, uh, hunkering down like everyone else, but it's not mm -hmm. been too bad so far. Um, and I'm in Boston, not New York City, so that's also something to be thankful for. May Allah make it easy for our brothers and sisters and everybody actually who's in New York and anyone around the world who's suffering from this uh, virus, either directly by being sick or many of the, you know, sort of a lot of the fallout from it too. Um, mm -hmm. is terrible for a lot of people in terms of economics and just, you know, loss in income, jobs, and so forth. So we pray that Allah Absolutely. make it easy, inshallah, and give us quick relief. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've shared now an intro for the listeners, uh, and so everyone will have your kind of more formal intro. But I thought I'd ask you, you know, as someone myself who also did an undergraduate in Arabic language, uh, what what sparked your interest in Arabic language and what's what sparked your interest or, or continued that through your academic career to this point? Yeah, so I studied at Georgetown University um, back in the early 90s as an undergraduate and um, I'm a language lover at heart. I really love languages. And when I went to Georgetown, I realized that it had one of the best Arabic programs in the country and I didn't know any Arabic at the time. And um, 
you know, so I decided to take advantage of the program. And so I majored in Arabic as an undergrad and also um, uh, double minored in Arab studies and in history. And uh, I realized from an early age that I really liked to study and learn and also to teach. And um, also during those years became very interested in Islam and Islamic studies. Uh, and so obviously that dovetailed very nicely with an Arabic degree. And so after graduating, I spent a year in Cairo studying Arabic uh, intensively at the AUC, the American University of Cairo. And then I came back and worked for a couple of years in Washington, D.C., and then decided to go to graduate school uh, in Islamic studies, which I did at McGill University in Montreal, uh, mm -hmm. where I did my master's and then Ph.D. eventually. Um, and so, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, decided to m merge my love of language and sort of culture with also my passion for and love of, of Islam and learning about uh, Islam and Islamic also history and culture, various aspects of, you know, society, as well as the religion, um, and tried to sort of put all that together in terms of a career where I can teach uh, and continue to learn about the things that I that I love. So that's that's fascinating. And, and I'm so happy um, to have this opportunity to to connect with you. And I hope that uh, we'll be diving into the conversation about Project 100. Uh, but uh, just before we know, we, we make that shift and talk about the 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 series that you'll be teaching uh, for Project 100, which itself is, I think, going to be um, very interesting. I have a ton of questions about this title of Islam and the modern worldview. But I thought I'd also take a moment and and. Uh, and ask you a little bit about your um, your sort of I don't know if it's called uh, if it's your PhD dissertation, but I know you have this this book published by Brill titled uh, Ibn Taymiyyah on Reason and Revelation: uh, A Study Guide, uh, a study of. Uh, if I'm not mispronouncing, I, I don't have the Arabic in front of me, but Dara Ta'arud wa Al Aql wa Al Naql. Yes, right. Ta'arud Al Aql wa Naql. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so, that's, so tell me that, a little bit. Of, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, so that started out as my PhD dissertation uh, at McGill, um, which I finished in 2013. And then since that time, I've been working on kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, turning it into a book, which just came out this past December um, from Brill uh, in the Netherlands. And basically what I'm doing in there, it's uh, I've always been interested in the topic of reason and revelation sort of on a macro level. And I've looked mm -hmm. at various uh, manifestations of that relationship and that tension sometimes in usul al-fiqh, in tafsir, in different aspects mm -hmm. of the Islamic tradition. And this particular project looks at it in terms of uh, theology and philosophy. So uh, Ibn Taymiyyah wrote a 10-volume work called Dar Ta'arud al-Haql al-Naql, which basically uh, means refutation of the contradiction of reason and revelation. And in there, he's trying to, to prove the point that there can be no sort of authentic or actual contradiction between true reason and authentic revelation properly understood. So he says, if you ever think there's a contradiction between what reason tells us and what revelation tells us, revelation meaning the Quran and the Sunnah, authenticated Sunnah, then either you have misunderstood revelation or, and this is more pertinent for his work and for my project, you've misappropriated reason. In other words, mm -hmm. you're bringing to the table a notion of reason, which is actually faulty. 
or that is pre-committed to certain presuppositions that don't necessarily hold up or that we don't need to take on board as Muslims, right? And you're, you're perceiving a conflict and it's because either you're misunderstanding revelation or you're misunderstanding what reason is actually saying, right? What you think is rational actually isn't, or what you think is a kind of uh, um, product of reason or just pure rational thought actually isn't. There are hidden assumptions in there that you're not seeing. And those hidden assumptions, which are questionable, are what is causing the alleged contradiction. So that's kind of his mm-hmm. overall point. And I was interested, um, you know, uh, I mean, when I saw the work, I decided to, to, to kind of study it, um, not primarily because I wanted to become an Ibn Taymiyyah specialist, but because I'm interested in that particular topic. And I said, look, he's written 10 volumes on it and he comes rather late. Uh, you know, in sort of classical Islamic thought. So he's responding to to the entire kind of uh, philosophical tradition that had been uh, developed before him, the philosopher and also the mutakallimin, so the, the kind of scholastic theologians. Um, he's re- kind of engaging with this entire pretty rich tradition of thought that has developed by that point. And I said, well, he must be saying something interesting in there. So let me try to find out, you know, what it is. And also, I mean, I... Clearly, I'm not interested in this topic for purely academic reasons, uh, academic mm-hmm. meant here in the pejorative sense. Uh, I think it's a really important topic that uh, sort of spans time and place and that um, manifests itself in different ways, uh, in different contexts. And I think that for us as Muslims in the modern world, and this kind of takes us into the heart of, of you know, the course and, and uh, the whole issue of Islam and modernity, for us as Muslims mm-hmm. in the modern world, we live as people who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, believe in God, we believe in revelation, right? And we live in the midst of this kind of self-styled age of reason, which the modern world is as of the enlightenment. Um, and, uh, and so how do we kind of navigate the inevitable tensions and incongruences that come up uh, when you're living in a time period that doesn't even recognize revelation as mm-hmm. valid? you know, a valid source of knowledge, a valid source of, you know, knowledge about the world, about morals and ethics or about anything, right? And all claims that are made are made in one way or another in the name of reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if there were tensions back in the Middle Ages when everybody accepted the existence of God and everybody accepted revelation and you still had tensions, what about when you're living in an age where revelation is just thrown out the window altogether and you're trying to navigate it as a believer who not only holds to revelation, but for whom revelation is actually central and primary, right? Mm-hmm. Allah knows and you don't know. That, that's, that's a pretty substantial statement. Mm-hmm. Th- that's fascinating. And I, and I appreciate uh, how these two you know, subjects connect now. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to this session itself. I'm going to link to everybody, um, you know, MuslimAmericanSociety.org slash Project 100, uh, along with this podcast, so they can learn more about this project. Um, it's coming up. The application deadline is this weekend. So as soon as you uh, hear this podcast, you'll have an opportunity to go online and apply for this program. But I, I wanted to pick a few points that you just mentioned here to understand better. So you're going to be teaching. Let's let's take one quick step back and you'll be teaching um, one of these sections or one of these sessions, not one session. You'll be teaching a, f- a series of, uh, of sessions around this topic of Islam in the modern world view. So 
maybe give us just a little quick overview of how this uh, this project came about and and uh, you know what how you'll be addressing this over these uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, so um, Project 100 as a whole is a project which aims to identify 100 really serious, uh, dedicated students of knowledge and serious activists that kind of spend four weeks um, attending a program twice a week for two hours each time and really digging deep into some uh, critical issues in order to inform our approach to Islam and our activism surrounding uh, Islam. So there are several components of the program and one of those components is the one that I will be teaching, inshallah, which is called Islam and Modernity. Well, Navigating Paradigms, Islam in the Modern Worldview is sort of the full title. Um, mm -hmm. That'll be every session, there'll be probably maybe 40 minutes uh, on that, 30, 40 minutes. And then Dr. Wa'al Hamza will be teaching a segment which involves doing a deep dive into the seerah and going very deep um, sounding the depths of the sira and sort of bringing out uh, lessons for us to apply in our circumstances. And then there'll be a third component that is uh, miscellaneous rotating topics, um, which can be mental health, spirituality, uh, political activism, uh, and other such topics. And then there'll be breakout groups for people to uh, come together and uh, and interact with each other in a more personal level about the material and about their lives and build relationships that way. So that's sort of an overview of the program. And my specific piece of that, again, is, is uh, this question of Islam and uh, modernity or Islam in the modern worldview. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess I could do... And so yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and before, exactly, I really appreciate that overview. This is, I think, you mentioned a couple of things here that I'm curious to, to pick at your, um, you know, because I think you were specifically using words that, uh, uh, that you wanted to capture an idea. So you mentioned something here about the self-styled age of reason. Uh, so tell me why you, you chose to refer it to that way. Because today, for example, I, I, have a lot, I try to have a lot of conversations with friends, with family. There are a handful of people that that appreciate this subject um, or want to spend time talking about uh, religion from uh, a worldview perspective or a philosophical perspective. Um, and so in these conversations, the age of reason is it's just accepted as that, as though we've moved past an age of, uh, you know, the age of superstition, the age of religion, and now we're in the age of reason. Maybe you can, you know, break that 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 uh, that definition of self-styled age of reason that you mentioned. Well, yeah, I mean, the characterization you just gave is sort of the, um, you know, the dominant, I would say, everyday uh, conception of what modernity is all about, right? That through the scientific revolution in the, uh, well, starting in the 17th century, late 17th century, um, and then uh, the enlightenment of the 18th century, mankind has sort of grown up. We've over, uh, you know, we've we've grown out of superstition slash religion, and of course, superstition and religion are are linked. Religion is reduced to a kind of form of superstition, and we've come into our uh, own as kind of rationally autonomous human beings, who henceforth only take kind of reason as our guide for what is true, what is real, what is right and wrong, um, what life is all about, what we should be doing here on this planet, and so forth. Right, so that's kind of the everyday. Now, obviously, anyone who knows anything about Islam or has any level of commitment to Islam realizes that this is this is radically different from our uh, our starting point. Right? Uh, again, we we start with 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the central reality without which nothing could exist, right? If, if, there, if, if everything is contingent except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is the necessary existence. This is a fundamental point of Islamic theology. It's, it's clear in the Quran. It can also be discussed mm -hmm. you know, rationally as the theologians have done, right? And we also uh, have, in addition to just a kind of generic belief in God, we also believe in, I mean, the Shahada, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? So that a particular man, Muhammad, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was sent as a messenger of Allah with a revelation from God in the form of a discrete book, the Quran, and exemplified mm -hmm. by his Sunnah. So this commits us to a very different worldview, if I can use that term altogether, right? We believe mm -hmm. that in addition to reason and in addition to sort of empirical science, which is what the modern world um, kind of limits, I would say, uh, human mm -hmm. knowledge to, right? We believe that in addition to reason, in addition to empirical science, we have another third very important and very fundamental source of knowledge, which is revelation, right? Mm -hmm. And there are many things that we know from revelation that we wouldn't otherwise know. And that's what revelation means. I mean, Allah is revealing to us things that we wouldn't otherwise know, right? Allahu ya'lamu wa antum la ta'lamun. Allah knows that mm -hmm. you don't know. Now, this doesn't mean that revelation, as Ibn Taymiyyah has tried to prove and I've tried to show in my work on him, it doesn't mean that revelation contradicts reason or tells us things mm -hmm. that are absurd or tells us things that contradict empirical facts that we can verify with certitude, right? But it does mm -hmm. add to that. Uh, not only does it add to our kind of, um, to our stock of knowledge, right? By adding items like about, the day of judgment and all these other things. But also, I mean, much deeper than that, it provides a completely different perspective uh, through which we approach the world itself, right? Uh, we mm -hmm. approach the world as being a creation of, of God, as being a manifestation of God's names and attributes, of, as having purpose, right? Allah says, I have not created jinn and mankind except to worship me. So we have a purpose for why we're here. Uh, also, Allah points many, uh, almost every page of the Quran, Allah points to the physical universe that science studies, right, as not just brute facts or brute uh, dead material, which is how the scientific worldview conceives of the environment around us, but it points to these things as signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? That the alternation of the night and day and the many processes, wondrous processes that we observe every day in nature and that we are even more aware of because of our modern science, right? Mm -hmm. Aware of the complexity of the beauty of the interconnectedness. Allah points to these as, uh, as meaningful signs pointing to a purposeful creator, right? Mm -hmm. uh, not just as again, uh, dead matter, which is how, again, from the 17th century on, uh, the modern worldview kind of conceives it. Not only that, I mean, Allah tells us, nothing exists except that it uh, hymns the praises of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? We live as Muslims in a universe where the birds in their chirping are actually making tasbih of Allah. Right? Allah mm -hmm. says, Everything is making tasbih, but we just don't understand their tasbih. Mm -hmm. right? That's a very different picture of the world than the, a picture that reduces all of sort of external reality to pure quantity, pure physicality, and pure materiality. Mm -hmm. Right? And that is sort of the, the basic 
premise of the modern worldview. Now, this is very high level, but but this type of way of looking at the world, this worldview, right? That's what worldview means, has implications on so many different levels, and it deeply impacts the way we think, even as Muslims in the modern world, because we just we're bathed in this environment, right? And it's 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 just part of the air that we breathe, right? Um, and so there are many assumptions that we have, even as Muslims, that are 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 kind of deeply informed by materialistic views of the world, by atheistic or at least agnostic kind of uh, conceptions of right. the world and of the human being and of our place in the world and of the provenance of, say, morals and ethics and all of these things mm-hmm. that we kind of take on board as Muslims just by virtue of existing in the modern world. And in fact, they, they deeply contradict uh, Islam. They deeply contradict what we actually claim to believe in, mm-hmm. right? And what this, the problem here is that when you take on board uh, contradictory assumptions, I mean, that, that, are, that contradict each other on the deep level, sooner or later, a tension is going to become manifest between them. Sooner right. or later, you're going to run into a contradiction. Sooner or later, you're going to run into irreconcilable mm-hmm. uh, claims that are being put forth. Well, Islam says this, but the modern world says that, whether it's right. modern science, whether it's the modern conception of human freedom or what right. morality is all about or, or political you know, arrangements, any number of levels, you're mm-hmm. going to find a conflict between sort of the going kind of um, uh, taken for granted assumptions, obvious quote unquote facts right. of, that everyone takes for granted and what we find in the Quran and the Sunnah or the Islamic tradition or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this can lead to obviously a lot of internal, to- internal turmoil intention mm-hmm. right not only do we have trouble explaining islam certain aspects of islam to non-muslims but we also have trouble frankly speaking explaining it to ourselves as muslims mm-hmm. correct because we too are are products of this modern world and again have taken on many of, of its basic assumptions and so questions arise in our mind right that that rankle the heart well mm-hmm. wait a minute i'm a muslim but it contradicts with this Right. The Quran went wrong about human origins, for example. Right. right. How do I n- negotiate that tension? You see. And so that, yeah. that's a particularly interesting one. And I appreciate that. Uh, forgive me for, for jumping in here. But I also wanted to get a sense for when you talk about modern worldview, um, is, is a lot of it focused around the, the scientific conclusions that have been derived? Um, or is it a broader discussion about, you know, maybe the the political, economic uh, philosophies that exist and what they're based on, m- morality itself. And I know at the, at the fundamental level, it's this question of, uh, of the discussion of reason and revelation as well. So when you talk about modern worldview, are you going to be covering a, a, a wide variety of those subjects or focusing on a few particular examples? Well, the, the questions are comprehensive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean... Science is fundamental to the discussion because, uh, again, and we'll get into this in the course, every worldview, and everybody has a worldview, just like everybody has a language, everybody has a worldview. So we can think of the worldview as kind of a, a thought language, mm-hmm. right? It's the, it's, the, it's the lens through which we perceive the world. Every human being anywhere on the planet, you know, uh, has a language that they speak. They open their mouth and something comes out. Right. That's right. their native language that they've acquired. Similarly, everyone has some type of worldview, even if it's implicit. In other words, what do I mean by that? 
you have some notion of what exists and what doesn't exist. So what right. is real and not real? I won't give the, you know, that's ontology. I won't give all of the, you know, technical terms. That'll be part of it. Sure. Everyone has a notion of what knowledge is and what are the sources of knowledge. If someone stands up and says, well, we know X, Y, and Z. Okay, well, what are the standards of knowledge in a given society? What do you consider to be knowledge as opposed to mere opinion or belief or supposition or something like that? That's part right. of your worldview. What do you think a human being is, right? Who are we as, you know, what is man? As Shakespeare would ask, you know, mm -hmm. uh, who, who are we? Where are we from? Where do we come from? Where are we going if anywhere? What is our nature, our actual true human nature, right? What, are, um, what is it that we should be doing? Those are questions of anthropology, you could say. Not in the sense mm -hmm. of the kind of, you know, discipline of anthropology, but just anthropos meaning an insan, the human being, okay? Mm -hmm. Then yes, you have questions of morals and ethics. So as human beings, no one denies that we exist as moral creatures, right? We have a sense of right and wrong and we hold each other to account for actions. So what constitutes moral action? How do mm -hmm. I, where do I derive my, my sense of morality from, right? Um, uh, how do I acquire that? How do I live, right? How, how, how does a human being live ultimately in the world? These are age old questions. I mean, asked by the Greeks, asked by, you know, every, every culture, you know, has mm -hmm. asked these questions on one level, they're fundamental human questions. And then after that, you have the question of, okay, that's me as an individual, but then human beings tend to come together as a society, mm -hmm. right? Societies have to be run through a polity, and the polity is governed by a law. So where does that law come from? What is the source of legitimate law that we can all sort of mm -hmm. accept and say, yes, this is a just law that we agree should be obeyed? Right? What is the nature of the kind of political uh, system that brings people together in larger collectivities beyond the individual and the family level? Right? right. And what what is the what are the norms that should govern sort of a political uh, arrangement? Right. These are all parts of the worldview. And then the question of teleology or purpose: Is there mm -hmm. a purpose in our lives, human lives? I mean, an objective purpose. Right. Are we here for some objective reason or are we just right. here to kind of project our own sort of self-generated, uh, you know, meaning onto the universe and and purpose onto it? OK. Right. Uh, and then the final question that comes into into a worldview, which is important, is a question of aesthetics. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, beauty. What do we consider to be beautiful? Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I always tell students that if you look at the art that is produced by any culture, you can tell a lot about the heart mm. and soul and the worldview and the overall kind of you know, positioning and ethos of that culture by looking at its art, because that's a reflection of the spirit of, of, that, of that culture. So Islamic art is extremely important to look at because it says a lot about who we are as Muslims. And you can look at Western art from the Middle Ages until uh, you know, what passes as art today Okay, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously making a judgment statement there, but I mean to. Right. Okay, and you can tell a lot about what is happening in Western culture in each and every age by looking at the art that's produced, the architecture, what's considered mm -hmm. beautiful and aesthetically pleasing in each age. So, you know, this is also part of it. So, so the worldview is a comprehensive thing. It is a global set of, you know, things that you consider to be true and valuable uh, about existent about the world and how you would answer all of those different questions that's what a person's worldview is right mm -hmm. and my premise in this course is that as muslims we clearly we have a worldview 
And it's it's a robust worldview. It's a rich mm-hmm. worldview. It's very well articulated and thought out. It's very comprehensive. It's very uh, consistent. It's persuasive. It answers all of these questions in sort of the deepest possible manner. It's very satisfying. Okay, and we also live again in a world in the modern age, a world that is not of our own making. Right? We live in mm-hmm. a world where the dominant culture is not, you know, was not derived from. Muslim civilization or Islamic sources, that civilization also has a worldview. And on all of the levels that we just mentioned, what exists, how do we know, who are we as humans, how should we act, you know, law, politics, Mm -hmm. aesthetics, teleology, all of these uh, uh, points, it also has very specific answers to these questions. And Mm -hmm. in most cases, the answers are very different from what our our answers are. So it's actually a very different Mm -hmm. worldview. Now, it doesn't mean that it's contradictory in every respect or that we can't live in it or that we can't interact with it. Of course not, right? But the founding assumptions are very different. And a lot of times, uh, again, conflicts manifest themselves on the surface. And unless you understand the deep roots of where the incongruence lies, you will not be able to adequately solve those conflicts. You will either be just, you know, um, just confused because, all right, Islam says this, and the modern whatever paradigm says that, and they just are, are kind of talking past each other, and I don't know how to negotiate that, right? Mm-hmm. Or you will, and this often happens too, you will sort of, because you're not taught to, um, to perceive and to analyze and to critique the deeper assumptions, you will kind of, despite yourself, uh, concede many of the premises of the other worldview, in this case, the modern sort of secular worldview, and then you will try to um, justify or interpret Islam on the basis of those. You see what I'm saying? So Islam is true and right and good because it's all about, you know, freedom, for example, the the modern radical sort of notion of radical autonomy, which we can talk about. Or Islam is, Mm -hmm. is redeemable because it's, you know, completely agrees with modern science and never conflicts with it. Or, you know, what have you, right? And first of all, this is not true. Second of all, you're never going to win, I always tell students, by playing on someone else's terms, okay? Because you're you're taking the other side's assumptions, so to speak, or the assumptions of the other paradigm. I don't want to, again, talk about it as an oppositional thing, uh, because this shouldn't be our attitude. But you take the assumptions of the other paradigm, and you try to uh, justify your own beliefs and thoughts and commitments in terms of that and it's never going to work because it's a not honest and i don't mean that the person is being dishonest by saying that but it's 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 kind of um you're you're shooting in the wrong place right Right. and and in the and sooner or later the deficiencies of that approach will become apparent because you will reach a point where where something will come come up in islam where you simply will not be able to plausibly reduce it to some element of the other paradigm because that's Correct. not what Islam is all about to begin with, right? So you can go yeah. so far in you know, justifying X, Y, or Z as a question of freedom or a question of autonomy or a question of whatever else you know, it is, but something's going to come up where no, like there's just an impasse and you cannot plausibly interpret it mm-hmm. in those terms. And then you're left high and dry because you've conceded so many assumptions to the other paradigm you have nothing left on your own side, and now you can't, yes. you know, sort of solve this this issue that's come up that won't let itself be 
you know, recast in terms of this, uh, this other thing. And then you realize that your approach has just been wrong from the beginning. Right. So we want to get the approach right <laughs> from the start so yeah. that we don't end up there. Yeah. So, so I have to ask because um, exactly what you just described is exactly the experience I've had. There's a handful of people that I've had serious intellectual conversations about subjects like this. Um, it usually starts off with something very, you know, uh, very d uh, direct or simple, maybe like you said, you know, human origins or other types of um, uh, kind of modern findings in science that perceivably or, or possibly um, are, 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 they are perceived to be at odds with the, the classic interpretation or not even a classic interpretation, maybe just a modern interpretation. You know, Muslims might say this today. And uh, it's at odds with some data that we're finding. Um, I've, I've actually gone through this exact experience. I found that in the beginning, I was spending my time focused on the ideas that were coming from that other paradigm without actually having dissected for myself um, or with the other person uh, what those underlying assumptions were. And only recently have I started to realize, even for myself, you know, to be able to have this conversation, I have to first understand what are all the underpinnings uh, of these uh, of this worldview uh, before we can build on top of why they think that particular idea is true or not true. The human origin ones is a conversation I've had for almost a decade um, with with someone in particular, and I and I got to the, exactly that point. You know, we could not make progress because we actually weren't able to. We were not under under uh, identifying what. To, what the basis of this understanding actually was. So I love the way you, you uh, laid out sort of this approach. And if I could ask um, maybe as a, as a closing statement or a closing idea, I'm curious to know uh, for the individual approaching this course. To me, it doesn't sound like it's a course designed for someone who just wants, uh, you know, some, some entertainment or edutainment, so to speak, uh, infotainment in a sense, something that they're just going to show up and listen to something and feel maybe motivated by it. Uh, so it's definitely for someone who's serious and is ready to get into a rigorous program. The other question I have is, it also doesn't seem from what you're describing that this is a course designed to just explain, to give answers. Okay, on this subject, this is the answer. Islam says this, the other worldview says this, therefore Islam is right because of this. Uh, it seems to be going uh, a layer deeper than that. And maybe you can sort of tell me if those are my uh, correct assumptions and if there are other things that uh, someone should know for someone who's applying, what they can expect and what they can expect to walk away with. Good. Yeah. Thank you for the question. So I agree with you. That's not meant for, you know, edutainment. I, and I don't think it will be that because I think that these uh, questions are existential questions for almost anybody who's thinking, you know, in the modern world. I always say if, mm -hmm. if someone grows up in the modern world and has never had a doubt about anything in Islam or ne never had a problem with anything in it, then the, I don't, then they're not thinking. I mean, quite frankly, because it's just not possible to live in this world and be aware of what's going on around you and, and what's being said. Um, you know, unless you're just completely oblivious to it, you're going to have at some point, well, wait a minute, this doesn't seem congruent. And how do I now it doesn't mean it has to be an existential crisis for you. But I would, I would, mm -hmm. I would guess that everybody out there, it, it, you know, in modern America, has on some level or another felt this tension or at least understands the importance of it. So I hope that the, that, that the subject will be, you know, I hope that it will be immediately obvious as to why this is a, a relevant topic. 
Um, in terms of what someone can come away with, yes, it's not going to be a question of, okay, here's a hot button issue X, uh, and here's sort of the two-minute response to it. Right? We need to have mm -hmm. the two-minute response. We need to have the 10-minute response. We need to have the 30-minute response. Mm -hmm. we, need the, we need to be able to you know, simplify and kind of packaging. But the goal of this course is to go deep, as you said, and to get people to understand where what are the origins, what are the deep roots underlying each worldview, right? What are the primary assumptions and how are those manifested at various levels of the, the kind of the surface manifestations uh, of, of the worldview, right? And more mm -hmm. than anything, it is to, and again, we have a limited time, so we're not gonna be able to get into every single issue and we're not gonna be able to even the issues we get into, we won't be able to completely excavate them and sort of treat them in all of the, you know, desired detail and, and, and uh, you know, comprehensiveness. Sure. But the idea is for people to leave with a, with a um, sort of a new way of thinking about things, a new way of analyzing things, and a new way of asking the relevant questions. Right. And I've had students tell me this in the past who have taken similar iterations of this course that I've given locally in the Boston area. Right. They say, OK, now we have a whole different way when an issue comes up where there's a conflict or an incongruence. We know now what not to do. You don't just jump and start arguing X, Y and Z. Rather, you need to ask this question, that question and that question. Right. You know how to go about searching for the answers on a deeper level, on the level where it you know, it makes most sense to look for those answers, right? So you start to develop that kind of analytical uh, approach. And I would say the approach where you look deep beyond the surface, right? Allah talks a lot about, you know, um, uh, 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 about the vahir, right? Just the surface manifestations mm -hmm. of things. And we are asked to go beyond that and to understand the reality behind them and to be people of al-bab, people of deep reflection, mm -hmm. people of deep, Understanding. Fiqh means deep understanding. Man For whoever Allah wants good for, he gives him fiqh, deep understanding in the deen. And the deen here is understood comprehensively. Right? It's not just fiqh in the sense of the ahkam of the fiqh. You know, this this uh, you know, meaning of fiqh is a is a particularization that comes about later on. But the original meaning of fiqh is just deep understanding and includes the entire worldview, if you ask me. Right. So the idea is that someone comes away saying first, I mean, again, and um, I would say the most important thing that someone will come away with is conflict. A conflict arises. At least, you know, you don't need to freak out. <laughs> OK, mm -hmm. you don't need to be plunged into an existential crisis every time some uh, conflict comes up that looks unresolvable to you. And, and therefore, Islam looks like it's being disproved or, you know, um, or undermined in some way or another, right? You take your breath, right. you say, wait a minute, let me start scratching the surface here. I bet you anything there's something going on at a deeper level that if I just keep, uh, keep digging, I'm going to get mm -hmm. to the heart of this issue and I'm going to see, aha, that's where the conflict really lies. That's where the issue really lies, right? Mm -hmm. And the only reason why the world, modern worldview says this thing, which is conflicting with Islam, is because it starts from premise, but you know what? I know as a Muslim, I don't even accept that premise to begin with. And I understand why mm -hmm. I don't. And I understand which premise I accept in its place and why i that's why that premise is actually true. And when I see that, I realize, mm -hmm. okay, that now the tension is solved because 
I realize that that surface level incongruence is just that. It's like a surface manifestation that if I trace it down to its roots and understand the roots, then the, the, the issue kind of evaporates on its own, right? And because and, you've, you've done away Absolutely. with it. Yeah. So I don't know if that made sense. Um, it does. It absolutely does. And, and that's a great way to, uh, to summarize and, and even wrap up this session. Um, it's been a real pleasure, Dr. Sharif. Um, I am excited myself about this program. I hope to be joining it. A, a lot of questions I've had throughout my life, as well as conversations I've had with other, you know, other of my own peers, other young Muslims. These are questions that, that come up on a regular basis. Um, and people often are, are facing that existential crisis that does, you know, come about for some people. And in reality, some might just ignore it, right? So sometimes it's, it's easier just to uh, avoid thinking about it because it'll be a difficult topic. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy to hear that. There is a way to approach it. There is a way to understand it from a deeper perspective. And it will, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think this was not something just to, that will increase us and, and enrich us uh, intellectually. But personally, I also see this as a way to in, in, uh, enrich myself spiritually. And those two, for me, they go hand in hand. Um, I'm looking forward to, I hope, uh, the opportunity to have more conversations with you. Looking forward to this opportunity to join you in Project 100 um, and for this particular uh, session on Islam and the modern worldview. So I will be sharing the link out with everyone to join. I will be getting this podcast out to everyone today. And I look forward to, um, to being in touch with you as well. Thank you again, Dr. Shadi. So and thank you for everything. And if I can actually just uh, one small comment on what you just said, which I think is really critical. You said that, you know, you expect it to be not only intellectually stimulating, but spiritually meaningful. Um, and you kind of presented those as sort of two separate things. And I would like to just say that, no, those are actually two sides of the same coin, because at the heart of the matter, our worldview is a, a religious worldview, right? I mean, at the very basis of it is is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's our souls, it's worship, it is spirituality, right? I mean, that's it. And, and the, right. the main difference between the modern kind of materialistic worldview and any traditional religious worldview, Islam and others, is precisely that that point, right? That, that we live primarily uh, 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 as spiritual beings with a spiritual reality, right? We know that Allah says, Allah will not look at your forms and your shapes, but he will look at your heart hmm. and your deeds, right? So cap part of recapturing our own worldview is precisely recapturing a fundamentally spiritual uh, groundedness and a fundamentally spiritual orientation to the world, which I started talking about in the beginning. Like for us, the entire universe right. is a spiritual entity. The trees are not just, you know, it's not just dead matter. Right, they're making tasbih. They are engaged in worship. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, so yes, yeah, spirituality is, is absolutely central to this because it's what our worldview is 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 based on and infused with through and through. And if we miss that, mm -hmm. then we've missed the entire point. So. I, I love that clarification. Thank you so much for that, especially because I've been, uh, you know, struggling with the proper way to articulate these ideas, and I realize that. Grow, being born and raised, growing up in this context, call it Western, American, whatever you want to call it, it is, you know, it underlying it, its underpinnings, whether it's academic underpinnings and, and assumptions, they are often, like you said, agnostic, or potentially um, atheistic, or e and mostly secular. And 
in addition to that, you know, going through the education system, the entire, uh, you know, media environment, everything that we often consume comes with that as well. And so I've, I love this idea and I'm excited to dive more into it um, through this session. I hope that you and I will have a chance to continue uh, this conversation. It's a number of areas that I have uh, more questions around and it'll be, I think, uh, an excellent opportunity, but we'll be in touch and we'll talk more about that. Again, may Allah bless you and your family and keep you safe, Dr. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum as-salam.